Welcome back to Rethinking Politics. We're glad you could join us here for episode 17 as we talk about the vice presidential debates, talk about some things that happened in the debates. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about some general election stuff. We we have a question that one of our listeners asked that we'd like to talk about and discuss our answer to it and some of the implications from that in regards to this current election. So look forward to that later on in this episode. First things first, we'll get into the vice president debate. So vice presidential debate took place in my home state of Utah. Woot woot. Yay. Unfortunately, I was not able to to attend in person. I was Ooh. not I was not in the top 40 people or whatever they let in the building. It was a very small group. It was under under 200 people in that room. And I was not one of those 200. One day you'll be that special, Brad. <laughs> oh, I'm that special now. <laughs> just just not to them. I know that's what most people aspire to be an audience member at a vice presidential debate. That's really the that, measure of success. That's how you know you've made it. <laughs> Any other standard is nothing. <laughs> I bet most people were wondering, how did I end up here? So, <laughs> what I would have been asking if I were in that audience. What I assume- life choices led me to this moment? <laughs> uh, that was the question I was asking myself listening to the debate. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the debate was better. It was better. It was better, I think, by every standard. We, we described kind of what we wanted. We described what we wanted from a debate last week. And it wasn't just more civility. It was more substance. Now, this didn't have a ton more substance. Probably didn't even have a lot more substance. But it did have more substance. But it did have more substance. And it certainly had more civility. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I could agree more, but I'm choosing not to. I feel like I'm agreeing <laughs> the, just the right amount. <laughs> Which is to say, yes, I agree. It's a great Garfield joke where John asks Garfield if his tie looks too stupid. And Garfield gives him a thumbs up and says, no, it looks just stupid enough. <laughs> uh, yep. Yep. That that about sums it up. Vice presidential debate. They talked about a whole lot of things. And also, in many ways, didn't talk about a lot of things, as you may have expected. As Dan said, they were able to hit on hit on some more specific things. You know, I mean, they, they did. They mentioned briefly, talked about climate change. They mentioned the economy briefly, talked about taxes briefly. They talked about, you know, Affordable Care Act briefly. They talked about um, COVID not so briefly, unfortunately. <laughs> That one, that one got a fair bit. Um, that was most of it. In many ways, it felt very much like a sequel to what was talked about in the presidential debate. That they yeah, talked about was. a lot of the same issues, but were able to expand a little bit. And and I would say that both uh, both Pence and Harris were able to articulate their ideas more clearly and effectively than Trump and Biden. In many ways, they were talking about the same things. They just talked about them better. They which did. was nice. They did. Mm-hmm. They, they same. All the political tactics and game were still present. Absolutely. Um, which is not great for uh, discussion, but it was better. It was better. Uh, Pence is certainly more articulate than Trump, 
I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was surprised how articulate he was. Frankly, I don't, I don't know him well. I didn't listen to the, his debates before when he was running. And this was my first experience listening to, to Pence debate. Pence's was very quick. He was very quick. He was very calm. Yeah, coming into this debate, I expected Kamala Harris to to wipe the walls with Mike yeah. Pence. That that's what I expected that's coming I expected. in, and so I was I was very surprised that they were that they were evenly matched in a way that I hadn't hadn't expected and and hadn't seen in a while. That it really was a good lively debate between these two, which was nice, which was nice. Yeah, it made watching it significantly more, more interesting, uh, interesting and durable than the previous debate yeah as we talked about last week about what a debate has looked like in in the past this debate was in many ways what debates have looked like in the past presidential debates where you've got two competent political candidates who are both playing the same game and playing it well and and trying as much as possible not to say anything controversial and to say only good things and and that's what happened that that was the game that was played you know, yeah. I mean, it it was it was interesting as they were making their cases. You know, the the logical conclusion as you as you ended is that because most of what they said is, I mean, in in many ways, what each candidate said was, of course, my candidate has only ever done good things and will only do good things, and and your candidate because, of course, they're talking about you know Joe Biden and Donald Trump, and your candidate has only done bad things and will continue to do bad things. <laughs> And let me give you an example to to justify my claim there, because that's a that's a very serious accusation. But well, it's probably not that serious in today's <laughs> political climate. But 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 for example, you know, Pence accuses you know Joe Biden of wanting to raise taxes on Americans. He says Joe Biden wants to get rid of Donald Trump's tax cuts. And that's going to raise taxes on Americans. And and then, of course, Kamala Harris replies with, well, he said he's not going to raise taxes on anyone who makes less than 400000 And And then, of course, Pence says, well, how is he going to do that if he's getting rid of these tax cuts, which will then increase taxes on those who make less? Then on the flip side, you have Kamala Harris, who accuses Donald Trump of getting rid of the Affordable Care Act or tr- planning to, trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act and that because of that, people are going to lose protection if they have pre-existing conditions. And then mm-hmm. Pence replies, oh yeah, we're going to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, but we're not going to allow people to lose their protections if they have a pre-existing condition. And so in both cases – The candidates, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden have made not necessarily conflicting claims because it's true. Both sides can do everything they want to do. But how realistic is that is a whole nother question. Right. Right. Clearly, we would need more detail if they're going to somehow walk that line and not raise taxes and or not lose the pre-existing yeah that they're they're both and you can see though what's happening they're both trying to make as many good claims as possible while not having anything negative stick to them you know joe biden is like we need to raise taxes on the rich but we can't raise taxes on on the average american which a lot of people resonate with but it's also very hard to do in practice and then same with Donald Trump. Donald Trump wants to get rid of the Affordable Care Act, 
but he doesn't want to get rid of any of the things that he think people really want from the Affordable Care Act, which puts him in a position that, like I said, is 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 difficult. It is, and it's it makes one of the highest, one of the most important skills that either of these parties can have is the ability to think on their feet and come up with a quick, probable explanation for how they can do the many conflicting things that they want that they to do. want to do. Absolutely. And on, on that point, Kamala Harris did not do as well as I thought she would. I uh, her ability to ad lib often, often she was reduced to saying that's not true. And you don't ever want to be saying that. What you want to say is that's not true because and yeah, give, here's here's and the reason. Say something. Here's how it works. Here's something probable that makes sense that explains that. And uh, and you don't even have to like you could pull that out of your hat. It doesn't have to be <laughs> and often candidates do. <laughs> and she uh, she wasn't able to do that very often. And there were more than a few times where it seemed like she got pinned back against a wall and was not able to do more than say that's not true. And if that seems like an important quality in a president, being able to ad lib your way out of a, a difficult position in a debate, then you and I are not looking for the same things in a candidate. <laughs> <laughs> right? What I would I would I'd prefer is someone who had good ideas that work, right? That seems much more important than this. Mm-hmm. But these are the kind of things that debates are judged on. <laughs> this is the kind of thing that makes impressions on people. It's like, well, wait a second. No, it's it's absolutely true. You know, your ability to make good decisions as a leader, whether whether you're a business leader or a military leader or the president of the United States who is the ultimate leader in terms of what he's responsible for, your ability to make good decisions, to make them effectively is not really in any way connected to your ability to improv an answer to an unexpected question during a debate. You know, right, the the two not. things are, are simply not connected. Right. But here we are. Here we are. And so, of course, this debate has a lot of, you know, a lot about what we talked about last week about the mudslinging. You know, as as we said before, a large part of the political election is is the goal is to have as much mud stick on the other candidate as possible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with as little mud sticking sticking on, on your side. And that's something we saw saw through and through that even as they were talking about about the more serious issues and and this is something that I want to mention real quick is though even though they talked more about the issues in this episode they still weren't really talking about the issues you know we talk about the economy and about about climate change and issues like that and that what that looked like was pence saying joe biden is going to end fracking he promised a a supporter he promised that they're going to get rid of fossil fuels and that's going to destroy the economy. And then Kamala Harris replying saying, no, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. He's, he's, he never said that. And, and, and back and forth like that. And the same thing going to the other side, Kamala Harris saying, you right. know, Trump said this. And, you know, Trump said there were good people on both sides in Charlottesville and Pence saying, no, he didn't say that. This is what he said. I mean, or he didn't say that Mm -hmm. this is the context to explain what he said, et cetera. That mud that uh, Pence was slinging there landed. There were news articles written by uh, Bernie Sanders type people. Um, There was comments made by uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, others saying the policies represented by Kamala Harris in the debate 
are not the policies that they were hoping for and that they were planning to support. There was some blowback because it looked, it made them look moderate that they wouldn't just simply say, yes, we're going to do those things. And that's the question that, that I was wondering as I was watching this debate is that Joe Biden is in many ways a very, a very moderate Democrat candidate. He <laughs> is not nearly as extreme as a lot of the other candidates, which is why in the DNC, they spend a lot of time talking about the things he was going to do to push those ideas. Right, yeah, right. The, the, the Bernie Sanders had... faction, mm-hmm. you know, Bernie Sanders speech was a talking about the things that Joe Biden is going to do. And, and they're trying to walk this tightrope, which is very difficult to watch, but it is also the whole purpose of the political game is to walk this tightrope <laughs> to tell your constituents, your fan base, yes, we're going to do all these things and then try and tell the the middle group of voters that you're trying to get that you're not going to do those things is a very delicate line to walk. But it's also one that Joe Biden has been working for walking for a long time. Kamala Harris, on the other hand, has not been walking that line. <laughs> Because in many ways, she is part of that Bernie Sanders, hold the line, this is what we're going to do, and we're just going to do it. And that's her personality. Her personality is not to say, no, let's walk it back. Her personality is to go, no, 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 no. Right. And in this debate, you're seeing her struggle with that that dichotomy. She doesn't know exactly where to put that line down. Right. Versus Pence, who spent the last four years as, I mean, he's been the vice president, and the vice president is basically a glorified cheerleader for the president. That is their job. (laughs) Yeah, well, and he was in charge of, like, the COVID-19 commission, right? mm -hmm. uh, He's been directly involved in a lot of these issues and, as you said, watching very closely. So, for him to to defend Trump's policies is much easier for him. Because he's been doing it for four years. Right. He knows knows how to defend – not only Trump's policies, but the things Trump has said. And he's gotten mm-hmm. quite good at it. Yeah. Kamala Harris has been, you know, you know, on Joe Biden's bandwagon for for a, a very, very short, short period of time. <laughs> yeah. And before that, she was very much not on that bandwagon. And so that's a rough transition to make. And it you is. can see it that is. in it that de- in, in this debate. That I think in many ways P- Pence did a better job. And it wasn't because He's necessarily better at this, but because he was in a much better position than Kamala Harris was going in. Right. That's a good point. She has to, as a representative of Biden's policies, she is not good at it yet. Now, and there's no question that she would become good given time. She's competent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's very skilled yeah, she's, at what she does. And, and she's very good at situations like this. Being able yes. to debate is mm-hmm. something she's good at. It's this new tightrope that she hasn't quite mastered. Right. Right. And she doesn't quite know where the lines are, as you said. And I think that's, I think that's a very keen observation. Well put. She, uh, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I liked about listening to this debate with Pence is that so many people don't think that there is any defense, you know, that, that, that Trump's positions are indefensible across the board because Trump is basically incapable of defending them. <laughs> now, he's just, he's just not good at articulating ideas and explaining why the the reasoning behind them. He's just not good at that. Whatever you think of him, you even if you really like him, I think you've got to grant that. Mm-hmm. But but Pence is. Pence can do that and did it and did it really well. And he he really 
I can't help but think, as, as some people have speculated, that if Pence was running for president, this would be a very different election, right? Very different election. But it's uh, but because of the way things have worked out, and because of the, in particular, because of the coronavirus and the the state it's put the economy in, things are uh, have not aligned well for. It's it's at a point where Trump needs that, and it's his weakest point in a lot of ways, being able to <laughs> defend his policies through that kind of logical, uh, those kind of explanations. No, there were there were times during this debate as as Pence would defend, as as Kamala Harris would make these accusations, Pence would defend Trump's actions in such a way that I was like, why didn't Trump say that? Why yeah. didn't Trump say that a week ago when similar accusations were thrown? Because those are good answers. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. People who think that a politician does something for no reason, you're going to be wrong. There are going to be defensible explanations. Now, they may not be right in the long run, but they're not just random or foolish. Trump may, may at times seem like he's making random or foolish decisions because of his inability to articulate them well, um, but he doesn't. I mean, that's not that's not what, how it works um, most of the time, right? There's, I'm sure there are exceptions to that. Um, there are reasons for them, and if you're not seeing those reasons, then you're not confronting the the real issues. You're not getting to even the arguments, the practical arguments, let alone the the theoretical ideas behind them. The way you framed Kamala Harris has really got me thinking. I think that was that was very, as I said, very keen. She does not do well on the defensive. And she is on the defensive mm -hmm. and has to be because she's because of her situation. No, in fact, she does so poorly on the defensive that most of her defenses usually circled back to accusing Trump of something else almost as a distraction, which <laughs> which in terms of a debate is is very ineffectual because it becomes a he said he said she said instead of what Pence would do, which is here's here's what trump has done and here's why he did it and this is what it actually looks like yeah and then pence would go on the offensive pence yeah would exactly first defend then go on the offensive instead of just change the subject instead of just jumping on the offensive mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as as your defensive strategy yeah yeah and it, it worked well he was surprisingly good at it governors are are what presidents used to be in a lot of ways in terms of in terms of the <laughs> the kind of person that it draws I, they're, they're still more political than they would have been originally uh, in other periods of history. But anyway, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. He, he sounds like a debater. I don't, even, I don't even know what Pence's background is as I'm thinking about it. Well, clearly one of those skills is, is debating now. If it wasn't then, and it probably wasn't then, but – and another example of, of how well he did is, you know, they talked – they discussed the, the Supreme Court – and that, of course, was something we're very interested in because two weeks ago we we did an episode on the Supreme Court and and something Pence said I really liked because it was basically the same argument that we made in our in our episode. And the argument is very simple. The argument is that every single time there was an opening in the Supreme Court during an election year. The president has nominated someone to fill that seat because doing anything else would make no sense. Right. The president's elected for four years. During that four years, part of what he does is eliminate, is nominate justices. 
and that this argument about whether or not this is okay is really a non-starter because this is this is just how the system works. This is literally his powers is what he's going to use it for because that's why he's there. And he made it and he made a good argument. And Kamala Harris, she made an argument as a reply that sounded good at first. And her argument was that Abraham Lincoln, when he was president in 1864, here, actually, I'll just read her, her transcript. In 1864, Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. I paraphrase that first part. And it was 27 days before the election, and a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge, not only in the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States, and then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And when she said that, I, of course, was like, did Abraham Lincoln actually do that? Because I wasn't aware of that. And that obviously would fly in the face of what Pence had just said, which was that every time there was an opening, a nomination was made. So I did a little digging, and the facts on this case, you know, we talked about fact-checking this time. Right, I mean, she's this making last a historical week. claim. She's this making a historical claim. It's funny because Dan actually mentioned last week, you know, the Civil War as an example of a fact that you can easily check. This is a this is a fact that you can easily check to find out what happened. And the interesting thing is there's there's not a lot of information on on what he actually said that he may not have actually said anything in his own words to explain why he didn't pick a nomination because it's true. He did not nominate a candidate before the election. And so at first I'm like, okay, Kamala Harris is right. He didn't. The reason he didn't nominate was very simple. The Senate was not in session until December. There was simply no way he could nominate a candidate and have that candidate be confirmed until after the election. And sure enough, after the election, as soon as the Senate was back in session, he nominated someone immediately and they were confirmed a day later. Which is still in his fourth year. This is not Which is, this new. is this is not this is not in his new term. This is during his current term. So even if he hadn't been elected, he still could have easily done that. And there's no evidence that he wouldn't have. That he definitely would have done that if given the opportunity, if he had lost the election, and that the reason he didn't do it before the election was simply because it was it wasn't an option. Which renders her argument, I mean, pointless. It's Pointless, it's an yeah. ineffectual argument. Yeah, it's a she's misinterpreted the events and why Abraham did what he did. Seems like, and she called him Abraham, just like like he and I are bros. <laughs> called Abe him and honest Abe. You know, if you're invoking <laughs> honest Abe, you must be on the right side of things. <laughs> no, and it, and it was a very effectual use of of Abraham Lincoln because it sounded very good, and. And the fact is that she didn't get any of the significant facts that wrong, which is why we talked about fact-checking before, is that even in this case, the fact-checking can be more complicated because those little details, like the fact that the Senate wasn't in session, is a very important fact mm-hmm. that she didn't lie about. She didn't misquote that fact. She just didn't mention it. Didn't mention it. And it completely it changes know. everything. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. It does. It changes everything. It, it gives you a... a an easy explanation for why that's the case, especially given that he he nominated someone 
as soon as they were back in session. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that seems case open and closed on that one as to why he did that. The one other thing that we wanted to mention is in terms of facts go and fact checking is uh, her Kamala Harris's accusation regarding what the president knew back in January. And she's asserted this, and so has Joe Biden, that, that President Donald Trump was aware of the virus there. They're careful in their phrasing, and so me paraphrasing them isn't going to do it justice. But the idea is that they knew how dangerous it was back then and didn't take the necessary actions. Now, at some point, Brad and I are going to go back once COVID-19 is officially over, not a pandemic, not a thing. We're going to go back and we're going to do an episode on COVID-19 and on how every how different groups handled it, how different countries handled it, what the actual numbers ended up being. Do the review that that nobody else seems to do in politics where you actually, once the fear and the threat is gone, you actually go back and analyze it with the information you have now. Look at the timeline of, of what happened when and who knew what when and those kind of questions and really try and learn something from this whole thing. But one of the quick things that we can say right now is that in the, initially what we had was numbers specifically from China that are absolutely wrong. <laughs> that we know now are wrong. We we're know wrong. now are wrong. We, we suspected then we're wrong and we were right <laughs> and we know they're wrong now. In fact, to this day, the numbers coming out of China are dubious. And you can look up any, pretty much any news source will tell you that. I don't, I don't think that's a partisan thing at all. I think every <laughs> news group agrees that they're, that it's sketchy and that it's dubious. And so when what you have is reports about the danger of a virus based on dubious numbers, you have very little. And you would be correct to disbelieve them. And that is, that's literally all we had in China. We had, there were a couple cases in the United States in January. A couple. What do you know from a couple cases that just happened? Almost nothing. Nothing statistically useful. You need a lot more data than that. No, and it's, and it's an argument that, that the left has really hung their hat on this mm-hmm. year in, in this election is the idea that here, I, I actually have the quote here of what she said. So, Quote, and here's the thing. On January 28, the vice president and the president were informed about the nature of this pandemic. They were informed that it's lethal in consequence, that it is airborne, that it will affect young people, and that it would be contracted because it is airborne. And they knew what was happening, and they didn't tell you. Can you imagine if you knew on January 28th, as opposed to March 13th, what they knew, what you might have done to prepare? They knew... And they covered it up. And and she goes on, but that's that's really the, yeah. the clinch yeah. is clincher is that line is that is that because of their decision, because they knew and they covered it up, and because of that, two hundred thousand people died. And if Joe Biden or Barack Obama or even a good Republican candidate had been in office, and this is a kind of their argument. You know, if if George Bush had been in office, or or Ronald Reagan had been in office, or or Honest Abe had been in office, then there wouldn't have been this giant cover up, and and things would have gone so much better, right? And and it's 
it's an argument that they treat as a fact. Like it's it's undisputable, basically in their eyes, that because of Donald Trump, these two hundred thousand people died. You know, my coworker yesterday showed me a get uh, a meme that said, you know, George Bush, I killed Saddam Hussein, Barack Obama, I killed Osama bin Laden, Donald Trump. I killed 210,000 Americans. <laughs> you know, it's it's reached that point where 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 it's unquestionable that this is just what happened. Donald Trump covered it up and because of that he didn't believe that it was real and because of that all these people had died. And here's the thing, I do not like Donald Trump. But I do not see any evidence of that. I really right. don't. I don't see where that's coming from. Right. As far as I can tell, how Donald Trump behaved, especially early on, was how any other president would have responded. Right. Right. With perhaps the exception of closing travel to China and those kind of things. Yeah. I think on that point, various uh, presidents would have varied. People would have varied quite a bit. But in terms of the general reaction to a potential threat on unreliable data, yeah, what do you do with that? Because if... Because if that was all it take, took to shut down the American economy, we would start getting threats like that all the time, <laughs> right? right? If, we well, were, if we were so subject to, to reports from various countries about health problems that they're experiencing. And, and it is, of course, a good question because there has been serious threats. You know, you have the, the Ebola scare, you have, mm -hmm. you know, the swine flu and, and there, there was no major shutdown. And of course, the question becomes why? What is the difference? You know, you could argue if anything more happened in in this pandemic to shut things down in those other pandemics. Yeah, and and like I said, I'm I I I don't know, and we we will get into this more. Yeah, I we think will it would be nice mm -hmm. to look at more of the dates, the timing, and compare it with some of the other potential pandemics that have happened, and see what happened differently, and why this one happened the way it did. So that mm -hmm. that'll be very interesting. It will be interesting, and it'll be and it'll be worthwhile once we have the necessary information to make those judgment calls, so that in the future, when we have limited information again, we can look back at what we have learned since. You know, mm -hmm. apply mm -hmm. apply the 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 scenario per se, learn from the scenario, be prepared, better prepared in the future, and compare it with how other people acted in other countries, and those kind of things will be really interesting. But suffice to say that the, the idea that they understood the nature of the virus at that time and the threat level it posed and those kind of things is just not just wrong. They didn't have the information necessary to know much at all. No, and, and it is interesting that list that she gives because the things she talks about, you know, the airborne affecting young people, that information is fairly recent. You know what I mean? I mean, people make a big news, a big deal about discovering in the past few months just how airborne it is or isn't and how harmful it is on young people and all of that data because it's right. been it's been difficult to learn that data even as we've had so many cases in the United States. The argument that the president knew all of that data on January 28th when it was just all the information was coming from China seems insane to me. Like not just that that, yeah. that didn't happen, but yeah. how could that have been possible? Well, right. How right. could that have been possible? If someone says this is a virus and it can kill people, like you understand that it's lethal, it can kill you. 
is another one of those facts where you're like, how useful is that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we need more than that. We need a lethality rate, right? Yeah. Which is something you need data for, which is something we didn't have. Uh, you need a, it can affect young people. That's useful. Almost every sickness can affect young people. To what degree? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's when you can use that information in a useful way. Do we open the schools? Do we close them? That depends on specifically how lethal it is to children, right? There's, there's lots of things that, lots of decisions, and that's a, it's a scale of precision per se. It's not you knew it or you didn't. It's how much do you really know about it? It's, it's and, not as clear cut as, as Dan said, her carefully worded statement made it sound. It's a smear. It's a smear that works, though, because a lot of people. Absolutely, yeah. it's a very effective. It's extremely smear. effective. If you haven't picked up on that. It's. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anything else, Joe Biden is writing that one smear campaign into the White House, and if and if he wins, it will in large part be because of how effective that smear campaign has been. Which wouldn't be the first presidency to do that. Don't. <laughs> oh, I mean that's 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 <laughs> don't, that's the don't, game. Make, don't let us convince you this is some exceptional evil happening. No, it's no, not. no. It's there's it's some politics works. I was about to say it's it's the pettiest of of evils, and that evil is politics. <laughs> right. This is normal politics. Exactly. It's how it works? You get it's, it's how the game works. With that, we want to switch to our the second part of this discussion. Now, it's related to the election, as Brad said, and it's it's responding to a specific question we were asked by a listener. And it's a good question that kind of gets at some of the broader picture things of the election and what you should do individually. How do you you react to this world that we live in? And here's the question. I'm going to read a key part of it. Right now, we have a choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden for president. This is arguably the most powerful role that a human on earth can have. One is a deranged narcissist, and one is an old man in severe cognitive decline. What do we do to avoid having such mediocre, if not ill-fitted people for this office? (laughs) I enjoy the phrasing of this question. (laughs) What can we do so that our standard of living can stay the same or get better? There's a couple parts to that. We're going to address them separately. The first, we'll, we'll attempt to address them separately. We'll attempt anyways. to address them separately. <laughs> Going to blend together. First is, uh, I mean, he's, you're absolutely right about the role. The president happens to be, if not the most powerful individual in the world, one of them. Right? He's, he's up there close enough that that claim is not absurd. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd have to fight really hard to argue for any other human for being else. Right. having close to as much power as the president. Right. I can't even think of anyone else who I'd list in competition. Off the top of my head, no idea who who else you could put on that scale. No, and that's why. Yeah, it's it's. Like I don't. Said, I don't. You're right. It it's a it's a fair claim. He is he is claim. the most important human being on the earth. He is the most powerful human being on the earth. What do we do to have better candidates? Is really that first part of that question. And it's a good question. What do we do is he phrased it, what do we do to avoid having mediocre, if not ill-fitted people for this office? We want better candidates. What do we do? It is a good question. So many people look at Donald Trump and Joe Biden and throw their hands up in the air that these are their options. And so many people who are voting for Joe Biden are not voting for Joe Biden. They're voting against Donald Trump and vice versa. We're going to look at this question in two, through two windows. First is, is what do you do in, right now in this situation? And then we're going to look at systemic changes you could do 
So first, you in this election, what do you do? In this election, you have basically just four options. So those four options are you can vote for the Republican candidate, or you can vote for the the Democrat candidate, or you can vote third party, or you cannot vote. Those are your options. You can write in instead of voting third party, which is basically the same thing, but it, it falls into the third party category, really. And our answer is don't vote for the Republican or the Democrat. Vote somewhere else. And the reason is very simple. <laughs> well, the reason is very simple and very complicated at the same time. The The, the simple <laughs> part of that answer is already expressed in the question. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are not good candidates. So why vote for them? There are, of course, responses to our argument that you should vote third party. The first one is the idea that you are choosing the lesser of two evils. As Brad indicated, most people vote, at least in part and often completely, because they don't want the other candidate, right? Their guy may not be great, but the other candidate is the devil. Here's, and here's my response to that. Donald Trump and Joe Biden are not good candidates, and everyone can see that they're not good candidates. But the majority of the reason that they're not good candidates is not unique to either of them. That Donald Trump is not worse in most ways than the majority of Republican candidates for president that we've had in the last 40 years. Joe Biden is not worse in the majority of ways than the past Democratic candidates that we've had in the past 40 years. And Republican presidents and Democratic presidents on a whole do not change a majority of the systemic issues that make your life worse. You know, an example of that, and we were going to talk about this a little bit later, but I want to talk about it now is inflation because part of because part of your question here is about our standard of living and what we can do to make our lives better and something that we talked about in our inflation episode is this idea that because of the inflation that has been going on there has been continual malinvestment in ineffective areas of the economy that have a negative effect on everyone, combined with the fact that in order to make those malinvestments, they are actually devaluing the currency, which is taking money from everyone. It's so it's so it's it's a two part. You're everyone is being taxed in a way that they cannot see. And then that money is being used in an ineffective way that not only doesn't use that initial sum effectively, but distorts the economy so that others don't know how to invest their money properly, which means that the economy becomes less efficient and therefore less productive, and therefore there's less for everyone to then spend their money on. So it's it's a double-edged sword that makes everyone's life worse, and it is not even on the table as an issue in this election or in the past elections. Donald Trump wins or Joe Biden wins, inflation is going to continue. We reelect Barack Obama for a third term out of the blue. Inflation is going to continue. We go back and we grab Ronald Reagan 
You know, because the Republicans are crazy about Ronald Reagan, so let's put him back. Nope. Nope. We are not going to change inflation. It is not an issue that's on the table for any major candidate on either side. And so if your concern is about your quality of life, and that's just one example, neither side is going to help you with that. So in terms of the lesser of two evils, how lesser? is the evil. And that's something that you have to ask yourself because the majority of the evil is going to be on both sides. And so if your choice is between the lesser of those two evils, how much are you really gaining? You know, it reminds me of a of an episode of The Simpsons where there are two candidates who are who are competing for an election. And and it was revealed during a during a debate that they were both aliens who are trying to take over the world. And everyone freaked out and they're like, and oh no, humanity. they're trying to enslave humanity, these aliens. And one of the aliens said, yes, well, it's a two-party system, so you have to vote for one of us. And that's how I feel about the lesser of two evils is that the idea everyone has is that this is the system, this is how it works – and so you have to pick one of these two, and if you don't, then it, it, it's it's like throwing away your vote. And and my counter argument is that no, anytime you vote for either of these two candidates, you are throwing away your vote. The majority of America every year, every election, is throwing away their vote. Another number of other issues we could discuss that are uh, that are causing fundamental issues that are not on the table. Another one that comes to mind is the the Supreme Court and the way it functions. Either of these candidates going to fix the fundamental issues with the imbalance of power where the legislature has has uh, sidestepped its responsibilities and they're now being exercised in the Supreme Court, in the federal bureaucracies, and in the presidency, through often through executive orders. No, <laughs> neither of them are going to do anything about that. Are are the agencies which are which the majority of what our government does is dictated by agencies. Are is that going to be affected in any way by which of these candidates win? No, it's not. If one of these candidates win, is there going to be serious reform on criminal justice? It doesn't look like it. It looks like there will be a lot of trimming around the edges. And that's usually what happens. That happens. That happens a lot. Different party gets in. They go and they fiddle with the numbers that are on the books. It's what happened with Obamacare, right? Obamacare could have been repealed. Could have been repealed. Instead, it's been fiddled with a little bit. In, in fact, I was going to add to what you were saying, Dan, because even in the issues they say they're going to change, they're already walking back what they're going to do. You know, Donald Trump wants to get rid of Obamacare, but he wants to leave a bunch of the protections that make Obamacare what it is. You know, Joe mm -hmm. Biden mm -hmm. wants to raise taxes, but wants to be very careful in how he does it so that he doesn't hurt the majority of America. You know, in on both sides, when they talk about overturning what the other side has done, what they're really talking about is trimming it up. They're not going to completely yeah. overhaul it. They're just going to tweak it. Well, and Trump's going to cut taxes, but is he going to cut spending? No. No, he's not. So what is this tax mm -hmm. cut exactly? 
more inflation. <laughs> you know, it's there's there's so many of these things where where some of the details shift and the fundamental issues do not. There is because there is a case, right? There are situations in life where you ch- should choose the lesser of two evils, right? There's the funny, there's the fun question that kids are always asking. At least I did, maybe, or, or me and my friends too. Morbid, be like, would you rather be, would you rather drown or be burned to death? You know, or the, the yeah, <laughs> would yeah, you yeah. rather type questions, right? Mm-hmm. There's the game of it now, and you say, and you're picking, you're looking for which one is less miserable, and in some situations, that's what you have to do. But but Brad's point is, I think Brad's point is absolutely correct about the lesser of two evils here. The reason that 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 we buy into, if you take a step back and you look at the big picture of the government, you'll find that none of the major issues are at stake here in this election. They really aren't. There's most of most of what happens is out of the sight of the public interest. And once you realize that, then it starts to less look less scary, maybe more scary in some ways. Scary it makes in the long this run, election right? because look in the long a lot run, less there scary. Are problems. But the election itself, what's at stake with these candidates is not nearly as pressing. Not nearly as pressing. Agreed. Now if you believed if you believed that Trump killed 200,000 people and that that would have been prevented if someone else were in office, right? I could see why you'd be like that guy's coming. Yeah. That's not true. That's not how virus spreading works. <laughs> but, but if it were true, I could see how you'd be like, wait a second. You know, if this were Hitler versus one of these guys, right? We'd be like, oh my gosh, you got to vote for anybody mm-hmm. but Hitler. And that's how they try and present it, right? They try and present every election as if it's that choice. It's, it's not that choice. So the lesser of two evils argument, I think, just is, is incorrect. It fails. Uh, and, and once you can get out of the, the fear and the outrage news, you, you start to see that, start looking more bigger picture. So then if, if it's not, if it's okay to vote outside of, we've, that's, that's the first step of our argument. <laughs> you, it's okay for you not to vote for one or the other. The world's not going to end. In fact, in most states, voting for one or the other is not going to matter at all. Because most states vote almost entirely as a block. And depending on how your state is, some states, you know, they have counties matter and have delegates and things like that. It varies a little bit from state to state and how they how they function on this specific aspect. But in most places, in most states, in most elections, your vote statistically does not matter. Yeah, and I don't know what the exact number is, but I can safely say that that the majority of the citizens in the United States who are voting, you know, 51% plus of the people who are voting every presidential election, their vote does not matter in the sense that their vote is not going to decide who becomes president. Because they live in areas where it's not, it's not, it's not contested, where it's just going to go one way. Yeah. And we're, yeah, we're not just saying that, that you have to be the one vote who makes the difference, right? We're saying that that even the total votes is more or less irrelevant because they're going to go for one candidate or the other in such a number 
that it doesn't matter. There's a reason there are blue states and there are red states and then there are purple mm-hmm. states, right? There are states where it's contested. If you're not in a contested voting area, whether that be a, a district of some kind or a county of some kind or however it's tallied in your state, then your vote doesn't And you doesn't can see that in how the candidates spend their their election resources. You know, as as mm-hmm. my my wife who has an Arizona phone number even though she's now registered to vote in Utah, her her phone is is blowing up constantly with all of these election messages while my right. phone sits quietly on the desk even though I've been registered to vote for the past you know for years and years I don't want to I don't want to reveal my age. I don't know why I don't want to reveal my age. <laughs> I'm I'm 26. Brad's yeah, 90. I mean, I don't I don't actually care about this. I just, I've just never recorded a. <laughs> now you feel obligated yeah, to confess because I made, made it, it a, a, thing. a thing. No one made this a thing except for me. <laughs> except for you, and now you have to say it. <laughs> Anyways, oh my goodness! <laughs> I, 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 you. It's funny. Sometimes in a debate, you get talked. I into talked a corner, myself into a and corner. Sometimes just talking to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what what point was I trying to make? I know we were making some brilliant arguments here. In a divided, in a contested area, that's where the candidates' money goes. That's where their time goes. If you live in one of those states, you see a lot of the candidates. Yeah, you'll hear a lot from the presidential candidates in their campaign and their nominations. I've never and heard it's from simply them. because those <laughs> votes matter more. They do. They do. Strategically, they matter more, and they know that, and so they spend their money on those votes. That's the first step in our response to the argument of "don't waste your vote." That you have to vote Republican or Democrat because if you don't, you're wasting your vote. Actually, it for most people, it doesn't matter that you vote Republican, you vote Democrat, you vote third party, or you throw away your vote and you're not going to change who gets elected. Even if a large number of people do it, it's not going to change who gets elected. But here's what it can change. And here's why voting third party can be so effective. Those numbers are looked at every election. The number of people who vote for Republicans, the number of people who vote for Democrats are looked at. In fact, the people who have the most influence are those people who change their vote, who maybe have voted Republican before, but are considering voting third party or who vote third party And then next election, the Republicans have to look at all these people who voted third party or the Democrats have to look at all these people who voted third party to figure out why in order to get those people back. And what that does is it encourages the party to change, to bend themselves towards you. And by you, I, of course, mean that block, but you can become a part of that block, which actually increases the power of your vote. You now become an influencer on your party instead of just being a rank and file who actually doesn't influence them at all. Because if you vote Republican or Democrat every single time, you know, if you if you vote straight party and you vote every election, then the party doesn't really have to do anything to convince you to vote. They don't need to change any party principle or any doctrine or any any idea at all in order to convince you because they've already got you. 
So what you want doesn't really matter to them. Right. They're not going to actively represent the interests of people who will vote for them no matter what. It's the votes they could have had but didn't for, that matter. For whatever reason. If you've already shown that you are going to vote for them no matter where the party moves and all they have to do is point out how bad the other candidate is, then truly you are exercising no influence on the party's on the party's principles. And, and when we talked before about the DNC and RNC and we we're talking about them trying to get turnout in their own blocks, they're not talking about getting turnout in those blocks that vote every time. No, they're talking about those groups who are Democrat or are Republican, but will often choose either not to vote or to vote for another party. And they're trying to get those people to vote for their party because that's the group that's up for grabs. There are many people who say, I didn't leave my party. My party left me. And they'll say, I've been voting for them my whole life. This is the first election where I'm going to vote for the other party, right? And this, and, and they're somewhat baffled by this, <laughs> by this turn of events. But it makes all the sense in the world. The people who are, if you were going to vote for them, regardless of the ideas put up, regardless of the candidate that's put up, there's no need to move in your direction. At the the party as a coalition of votes must win elections. That is their purpose. That's the purpose of the party, to win elections. The direction the party is going to move is set by the people who said no, not the people who said yes, mm -hmm. who said, this is not for me. That's what establishes the direction that the party needs to move because the party needs to win elections. And so the most effective thing you can do is figure out what clear lines you have that you're not going to cross in your political principles and stick to them. Because until you draw a clear line and you start saying, nope, not that person, your party is going to continue to move away from you. That was very well put. And it's, and it's ironic that the people that – often it's the people who vote out of a sense of civic duty, right? who go and just vote down the ballot and they're not very happy with it, but they feel like it's necessary. And the irony is that those people have no effect on the direction of their party and the tragedy of it, right? Unless they start voting for somebody else or they start, they start making it cost something mm -hmm. to move away from their beliefs. It will not change. It will no, which change. is why we're arguing that even if you happen to live in the most contested county in one of the most important states in this election, in terms of electoral votes, your vote would still be significantly more effective voting for a third party than it would for either of these two can candidates because it does send a very strong message that they screwed up. They did something wrong yeah. and they lost the votes they should have had because of it and that they need to do something different and need to find out why those people didn't vote for them. And when they do find out, they can make those changes. Right. They do polls on this. They invest Absolutely. money in this. This is a, this is a million, this is probably a billion dollar thing after elections to figure out what happened. And you can bet that that your vote will be noticed. <laughs> like any, any, 
getting more votes is hugely is, is the name of the game to the political industry. It's the name of the game, yeah. And and so your vote going to some other group matters. I mean, obviously there's no name, right? It's not like they're tracking you individually, but they can see they have very good ideas of who's been voting in the past, of not who, but how yeah. many votes. They and that in the number past changes, and they notice immediately. Yes, after after the election is done, Brad and I will go and we'll look at the demographics of the votes, and we'll show you some of the trends and things that are they're really interesting when you dig into them. You see who's voting for who and where and. And those kind of those kind of things, it's a it's a whole world that most people aren't aware of because when the election's over, it's over, and everyone goes on with their lives, right? <laughs> you can now yeah, take yeah, a break. Yeah. But no, and for for political groups, the future of political groups, that's where the work begins. You say, okay, where are we at? Why are we there? Where do we go from here? And uh, and that's that's where the direction of the party is set. That's where that's where they start to say we need a candidate like this and then they start looking for candidates like that right and they go to people and they say you should consider doing this you should consider doing this it's consulting those kind of numbers that people who fund politics say should i support this candidate is how likely are they to win how likely do they do they reflect yeah. this shift in numbers and would it be worth trying and uh, all of this is dictated by this numbers game here the people who vote down the line for a party consistently, regardless of whether they like the the candidate, are not influencing at all. Unless, of course, you love the candidate. I mean, if, if- No, and if it is, then you don't have a dilemma. You just vote for them. Right, right. But if you find yourself in this position where you're looking at both and you're like, hmm, neither of these look good. Yep. Exercise some power. That's a good segue into to the next part we want to talk about because as you may have noticed with what we're saying here with voting third party is that no matter what you're going to do, you're not really going to significantly change this election. You know, one of these two candidates is going to get into office. That's just the reality that we live in. We accept that. We're not saying vote third party <laughs> to get a third party candidate in office. We're saying vote third party now for the benefits that are going to come. And the next thing that we need to do to make the future better is to make some policy changes, as Dan said. And policy changes is obviously a lot harder than who you vote for. You know, you have complete control over who you vote for. We have very little control over policy. But as Dan said, our voices can be heard. And I think people fail to realize how effective their voices are. The policy changes we want to make are ones we talked about in our fifth episode. You know, we talked about two parties when we talked about the the musical Hamilton. And we want to mention it real quick. And if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and listen to it, especially the second half, as we talk about some of the things that you can do to change the two-party system. Because the two-party system we have now is broken. If this election isn't enough evidence for you, Listen to our Hamilton episode and we'll give you some more. <laughs> yeah, partisanship is – Partisanship yeah. and this two-party system, it's it's gone to a point that that I don't think anyone wants it to be at. And so let's change it. Yeah, it's gone to a point where 30-plus percent of the population is convinced there will be a civil yeah. war. Right? And that's, that's nuts. That's – it is – yeah, I don't know who's attacking who. I don't know if they're expecting Portland to suddenly invade – Boise or <laughs> that's my vote. And just because there may not be physical violence on that scale doesn't mean the division isn't real. And that division, yeah, division in is itself 
is damaging. And so we'd like to see a change. And we think the best way to do that is to change from a two-party system to a multi-party system. And what that means is changing how the voting is done. There's a couple things we'd recommend. Um, ranked voting and proportional representation are, are two of those. What ranked voting is, is that in some cases, the position has to be winner take all, like the president. There's no rewards for second place. In which case, you should have ranked voting. This would be the parties need to change this in their, uh, in the way they select the candidates. All parties, uh, Republicans, Democrats, and other third parties should change this. In winner take all cases, you should have ranked voting so that you can say this person's number one for me, this person's number two, this person's number three, this person's number four, and so on. Or you could do top three or however you want to arrange it. As long as there's a ranking, it has a variety of effects depending on the makeup of the candidates. In essence, what it does is it's going to get a candidate that more people like. It's going to make the which is process, what you'd want from a voting now, system, right, which, which turns out to be right. If someone's going to represent you, ideally, more people like the person representing <laughs> them. Right? That seems pretty straightforward. A good example of of what it would change would be to look at the election process uh, that got Donald Trump to be the nominee of the Republican Party, and you'll see. A combination of things like the not Trump candidate. You'll see that you'll see a division of votes among people who are very similar, but have slight differences and as such divide up a large block of people that are extremely similar and have more in common with each other than they do with the other candidates, but their vote is then split amongst a lot of candidates. And what ranked voting would do would allow that to happen. But then when the vote actually happens and the candidate is selected, one of those people can have the weight of that whole block. But suffice to say that as Brad indicated, it's the most important aspect is that what ranked voting does is it allows you to get candidates that are more liked by everybody. Uh, it's going to be someone who represents everyone. Proportional representation is for areas where there are multiple candidates who are going to get seated. So in terms of like Congress, for example, each state has so many congressmen. And they're divided up by district because it used to, the idea, the old idea was that these districts represented different interests, right? You'd have the, the, the farmers of this area and you'd have the tradesmen of this area and these class interests and these, these kind of, uh, trade interests would be then represented by someone who's close to them. That doesn't make much sense anymore, uh, with the world online as it is. But what you would have instead is you would say, okay, this state has 20 seats. Let's have a vote. Everybody can vote for the party or candidates that they like. And those votes will then be proportionally represented. So you'd have, say you have using parties as we use them now. Say this is a, a state with a lot of diverse interests and they had 40% Republican, 30% Democrat, 15% Green Party, 10% uh, Libertarian Party, and 5% some other mix. Each group would get that percent of the seats. And so if you got, if you could get 5% of the vote, you would get 5% of the representation. You'd get 5% of the seats. And that way, every interest is represented to the degree that it is present, <laughs> right? Instead of the current system where you can have have that same makeup, 40, 30, 15, you know, et cetera, down the line, and you have a state that is 
100% or 80% the politicians who get elected are Republican. Even though they only represent 40% of the people, they end up getting 80% of the seats because of how the districts are set up. All they need is to get 51% of each of those districts. Right. Right. And people who vote for third parties don't get represented at all because they can't ever get get above the 50% line. And so the result is that those groups will then vote with the two parties. And if you gerrymander the districts well enough, you can win almost all of the seats with yeah, a single potentially party all. that represents a small portion, doesn't represent a majority of the population. Right? So proportional representation in these spheres like Congress is such an amazing idea because it's not rocket science no. and it could have such a huge difference, not just on third parties, but on the two parties themselves in how they're represented and allowing people to actually be represented. By the ideas that yeah. they want. It would it would change voting so much. You could go to the polls excited to get your group in. And right? then <laughs> your, yeah, people and, that actually agreed with And you. it would make everyone's vote much more important because every vote that your group gets increases the representation that group gets. Yeah, right, right. You're not just competing. It's not a winner takes all. All or nothing. Yeah. 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 The involvement would go up so much. People would actually care and they would be involved. And my, people that don't vote ever would vote. Would start oh, yeah. Voter voter turnout would go up like crazy. Neither of those are going to be popular among Democrats and Republicans. Because it would take away their power. Yep. Yeah, the people who have the power now don't want it. But those people are not the American people. Those groups' interests are not the same as our interests. (laughs) They're not. And it's worth mentioning. I don't know if those of you listening, you may have heard of Unity 2020. They're uh, they're not a political party, but they're running on some of the ballots and things. And and they're a movement trying to get things like ranked voting in place. And so what they did is they they had a ranked order voting thing and they decided on uh, a Republican and a Democrat as the president and vice president of their group. And anyway, the details of it are not that important. But the point of what they're trying to do is, which is they're trying to get ranked voting and change the way the system works in significant ways so that you end up with something better. <laughs> which is what everyone wants. We've been slowly addressing the question about what we can do with this election and what we can do to make our standard of living stay the same or get better. The last thing we want to talk about, because we've already addressed some of the things you can do, is is the fact that the worst things that our government does that directly affects our lives are not on the table right now. And so so we need to get those things on the table. And if those things aren't on the table, then it doesn't matter what happens any of these elections. It doesn't matter how involved or not involved in politics you are. They're not going to get better. So the first thing we have to do is get those things on the table. And a big thing we can do with that is what we've talked about before with voting third party, changing the voting systems so that we can have better representation so that the ideas we want can be heard. And then, of course, there are a lot of other things that we can do. One of the things that we're trying to do is help spread information so that people are aware of the ways that the government is impacting us negatively that most people don't even realize it's happening. Because even if you get ranked voting and proportional representation, it doesn't matter if people don't even realize 
how incredibly destructive inflation is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's part of it is a knowledge. So, problem, so yeah. part of it is spreading that information so that people understand and then actually getting those changes made. And that's something that we're working on and that there are other people out there who are working on. Um, an example that I've mentioned before, I think I actually mentioned about it when we talked about it last time is, is Libertas here in Utah is a think tank that's working to get these ideas out there and to make policy changes. And they've actually made effective changes and they're not alone. You know, regardless of what state you're in, there are groups out there that are making changes. Seek those groups out and, and see what you can do to help. If if that's really what you want to do, if you want to see these things change, you have to do something about it. Yeah. And you'll find that that's investing your time. It's the state and local level will pay off. Absolutely. Investing your time at the national level. It could. I mean, it could. And obviously there's a lot at stake there, but it's, it's extremely unlikely <laughs> if you want to make a big change for it to pay off at the national level. Um, unless it's within that window that Brad's talking about, they sometimes refer to it as the Overton window. It's the, it's what's on the table at the time, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the, it's what's possible given current circumstances. In the long run, we want to shift the window. So more is on the table, but it, but if you're if you want to make a change, you need to seriously consider what's on the table at the national level, and it's likely that the things that interest you will not be, and you'll have to work an extremely long time, and it may never be at the state level and the local level. You can make a difference, and you can make a difference quickly. Absolutely, and and the last thing we want to talk about and answer that question, and the the note we want to leave you with is is remember that the government doesn't produce. The government can redirect and it can stop things, stop people from producing or take what they've produced, but it doesn't actually produce. Law doesn't make stuff. Exactly. <laughs> Despite what you would like. <laughs> can direct people to make stuff and redirect, always taking its cut on the way. And so the other part of what we can do to change our standard of living and improve it has nothing to do with government. That that governments come and go and politicians come and go, but life goes on. And it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that, especially in a year like this year where everything has become politicized. The government is not everything. You know, even with inflation and all the other things that, that are having a negative effect, we're still alive and we still have opportunities and we can take those opportunities and we can make the most of them or we cannot. And that part is completely up to us. So, I mean, I know for myself, you know, if I want things to get better, it's up to me. And I have to play the cards that I've been dealt and make the most of it. And that's something that everyone has the opportunity to do regardless of of the government. And like I said, I mean, the government is a huge deal, but it isn't everything. And it is important to remember that it isn't everything that there's life outside of this political game. Yeah, it's it's easy to get caught up in it. If you find yourself stressing too much about what's happening with news and things, stop reading news. Really, you'll be better off. You it go go at least take a break, right? Yeah. Turn off your electronic devices, get away from Facebook, get away from Twitter, get away from whatever uh, news you're doing and go go live for a little bit. Go breathe yeah, some fresh air. Yeah, taking a break is not a bad idea. Um, yeah, you'll be rejuvenated. Keep it keep it within the Keep your concerns about the government within the proper range of knowing what you can affect and what you have power over. And most of the things right around you, 
If you're listening to this podcast, you should do it while you're cleaning your room. You should do it while you're doing your laundry or do it while you're do things that make a difference in your life while being concerned with these things in their proper sphere. Tune in next week. Um, the, the debate has been canceled officially now, that second debate, presidential debate. So we're not sure what we're going to talk about, but we know it'll be, be pretty off the topic of the election. I was about to say, we know it'll be pretty good because we won't be talking about the debate. <laughs> so you can look forward to that. Thank you for listening. 